Today is April 26th, it's Wednesday, and um, in a few moments I will be, we're having lots of Masses today, as it turns out, and I'm saying a, a Mass for Benedict Joseph Lebray, whose feast day was uh, your first Mass, Sunday, yeah. April 16th, so we're transferring it to today. Benedict Joseph Lebray is one of those saints that I um, was really unfamiliar with, um, and but he's fascinating. He he lived in the 19th century, and he, um, he was from France. Mm-hmm. And his story is actually is really interesting. He is I, I think his parents had I want to say 15 children, a lot of children, yeah, more than the 2.5 that we are used to, yeah. And they were of middle class, so they were able to afford their children some educational opportunities. He um, lived with, he had uncles from both sides of his family who were priests. He lived okay. with, um, I think, his paternal uncle for a while and was just, he was unusually pious and dedicated to mortification of his flesh and and just, and had no, apparently had no interest to any kind of education that did not bring him closer to the knowledge of God. So the normal routine of education for people of his class simply did not interest him. His uncle that he was living with died. I don't remember how he died. I'm under the impression it was of some tragic death. And then he went to live with the other uncle, um, mm. and he wanted to enter into a Trappist monastery was denied, I think, twice to the Trappist Monastery, tried mm-hmm. the Cistercians, denied... I didn't realize that. I think he was denied interest into the Carthusians. And I think he lived... I think he finally was able to go to another Trappist Monastery. So three or four different monasteries he mm-hmm. tried to enter into and was denied. One wonders why that part of the story isn't isn't quite ev- evident. Mm-hmm. But then his health, he had declining health, and so he had to had to leave before he could ever enter fully into the monastery. So then he just basically spends his time, the remaining, I think, 13 years of his life, um, initially wandering from pilgrimage, pilgrimage site to pilgrimage site and going and praying and staying there, and then ultimately ends up in Rome and was dedicated to sleeping outdoors, and and um, he died. He, he collapsed on the steps of a of a, a church dedicated to, to the Virgin Mary in Rome, and was moved to a house just behind the church, and where he died, he was buried in that church. And he, um, I mean, so he's not known for in his life as anything right. extraordinary, other than wandering from place to place. He wouldn't beg for food. He would only eat um, what people gave him or what he could rummage through and find. And uh, I think he spent a lot of time at the Colosseum, I think I remember reading. And so he died and was canonized in 1881 by Pope Leo XIII. But his his intercession proved to be very powerful um, after his death. And he's the patron saint of the homeless. Mm -hmm. And even there's some attribution to being the patron saint of the mentally ill. What I love about Benedict Joseph Lebray is that he was an ordinary individual who just lived extraordinary uh, life of prayer Mm -hmm. and and itinerant holiness, that in in many ways we can find some parallels to our our homeless guests. Um, Basically, the things he endured, never really finding his way, Wandering. wandering, having having real ambition, but but there's a lot to his story we yeah. we don't know. 
and just simply nothing ever really clicked the way that he was wanting it to click, but had a extraordinary perseverance. Um, and and what better way to collapse and die than on the steps of a church? Yeah. Again, I don't know the story. I don't know if he was denied entrance into the church or if he had been there a while or yeah. if it was evening or whatever. One should not draw conclusions with, with uh, a paucity of information. We're not saying the church should have let him in. I don't know what the story was. But he is um, he is our... Our the name of our guild that is dedicated to dealing with our homeless guests and and ministry with the homeless and um, so we're having a mass today to honor that guild, but he's one of those one of those wonderful stories of people that is remembered in the church, but may not be as widely known as as the others. Right. That he's worth a Google. He's worth reading about him and discovering more about his story because he is inspiring, because we can, in many ways, can certainly relate to him. Mm -hmm. How many times have we been denied um, entrance to a part of our life that we really, really wanted, yeah. and how do you pivot? How do you remain faithful? And his his real dedication to the poor and going from play, holy place to holy place as a reminder that that is our home, and, yeah. and that there is, there is an address where we spend the night, and then there is our home. Yeah. So while he may not have had a permanent dwelling, he definitely, in the spiritual sense, was not homeless because right. he knew exactly where to go. In fact, I think I remember reading that he would make a pilgrimage in Italy to the uh, Holy House of in Laredo, yeah. which is another powerful image of, of not being homeless in that sense yeah. and that he knew where to go, but he chose to live as a witness to, uh, to, um, to that poverty and life of prayer. So I've developed a devotion to um, to Benedict Joseph Lebray, and we're fortunate to have a second-class relic yeah. of, uh, of the saint. So looking forward to doing that today. So it's a reminder that there's all kinds of people in this great communion of saints and this great cloud of witnesses that we have that are totally relatable right. and more contemporary than we would have imagined. Yeah. Um, that that are our companions in prayer, and I'm I'm very grateful for them. Yeah, I think um, what you said is perfect. He he's a great example that forces us to not make assumptions um, with little information. Because if you've ever you know volunteered at our shelter, that kind of is your challenge. Is you get a, a snippet, one story of this person in front of you's yeah. life, and your tendency is to sometimes you know, with a good intention, I want to solve this problem. So you start making assumptions and, and you can't do that. Um, you know, you're, you're given this brief encounter with this person and you give them a place to stay for the night. Um, and you don't know their full story. You don't know where they've come from maybe, or where they're going. Um, but what you do in that moment is, is what matters most. And it's, we, you know, we give them warm food, a safe place to sleep. And then, you know, obviously we connect them with resources to help them long-term, but that, that um, practice of not making assumptions about this is why they're homeless or this is what their real problem is, um, that, that can be hard sometimes. And when we have, you know, only a couple sentences of who Benedict Joseph Lebray was, um, we almost want to do the same thing with his life. And, and it's a good practice not to. Um, and to try to approach it with, you know, a, a veil of mercy and grace um, that kind of covers everything. Yeah, and we would be very good in the future to have some members of our parish who work yeah. um, um, closely with this ministry to talk to them about this. Right. But 
you know, Benedict was homeless, if we were to use that phrase, by choice. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I have learned in the past decade of doing the shelter here is to really understand what Jesus meant somewhat when he said, you will always have the poor with you. Mm -hmm. I think that conventional wisdom says, build a bunch of dormitories and we'll solve the housing Mm -hmm. crisis. Throw a bunch of money into their accounts and we'll solve the housing crisis. It's simply not that simple. Um, I I don't have the solution. Don't think anyone has the solutions, but you could... You could give every single person we serve a, a great mansion and um, a, an account full of money, and they may be homeless in three months. They may mm-hmm. go through it. There's all kinds of complexities involved to this, with this, and our response is to be merciful and is to show compassion, yeah. um, regardless of the circumstances to what got them there, and not try to fix their problems to grant to help them find the resources they need to make sure they're healthy, mm-hmm. but. But lives are complicated, and there's a gentleman who's living in our parking lot yeah. right now. By choice, there are all kinds of resources available. Those aren't the ones he wants to take advantage of. And the first time I was really challenged on this was 10 years ago. It was 2013 in September. I was in Norwich, England with our a pilgrimage group, and there was a woman who's, who made a tent outside Norwich Cathedral, and that's just where she slept. Yeah. And um, Canon Hazelock was giving us the tour and just simply said, and he said her name, this is where she lives. And he said, people are often very cross at us and say, how dare you, this massive cathedral and with all of your land and you let her sleep outside. He says that this is what she wants. As a little girl, her house burned down and she's terrified of sleeping under a roof because she's traumatized by that. So she would never sleep under a roof in a shelter or if we gave her a home. She was so scarred by it and certainly had some, some other mental illness right. issues. But the most compassionate thing we can do is to not kick her off yep. this property right here and let her have her own tent. That's what's best for her right now. And that was an eye-opening and, and powerful experience to say, it's not for me to try to tell you what you need Um but to be open to learning more about you and helping you discover with you what is best for you. And Libre is a great example of that. Um, people I can imagine would probably say to him, dude, come inside. Yeah. But that's not what his calling was. Now, I'm not, I'm not universalizing that and saying that all of our guests are Benedicts and this is their whatever, right. but it's a complex, um, complex ministry that we need to be patient and, and be present with each, each individual um, and see Jesus Christ in them. So that's what that Mass is today. Well, wonderful. Well, let me open us up in prayer, and then we're going to get into a discussion about um, the, the Bible, how we were raised in it, and maybe what our favorite Bible verses are. So let me pray the third Sunday of Easter Collect. Let us pray. O God, whose blessed Son did manifest himself to his disciples in the breaking of bread, Open, we pray thee, the eyes of our faith, that we may behold him in all his redeeming work. Through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, Father, the first question I'm going to ask is, what is your favorite Bible verse? This is something um, I think both of us have gotten asked time and time again, so I'm 
quite curious to hear your answer. I was asked that question last night, and my flippant answer was from John 11, Lord, by now he stinketh. <laughs> and um, I don't have one. I was asked that question twice this past week. What is your favorite Bible verse? And um, and the answer is, I don't have one. Um, I have a different favorite Bible verse every day, depending on what we read in the office, mm-hmm. what the psalm is, or or what um, what what is happening in in the in the liturgy that speaks to me. Like yesterday, my favorite favorite Bible verse was from First uh, Timothy. I was reading evening prayer, and it was be instant in season and out of season, and people will have itching ears and will not have any patience for the truth. And that was a um, that that of that day. That was my favorite one mm-hmm. because it was the one that that, that connected with me. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have one. There are verses that I will go to um, frequently, and I remember I was actually was I was digging in my desk looking for a um, stapler this morning and I, I and I saw this and, and if you're listening on on the podcast and not watching on YouTube my apologies I'm holding in my hand a very worn green Gideon New Testament and Psalms yeah I don't know if these are as popular as they used to I, be I had several of them but you know the the Gideon society will put your Bibles in your in your hotel and used to be in your hospital room. I, I frankly don't know in this day and age if, if that is... As you know, I checked the last time I was in a uh, hotel and there wasn't one. Yeah, and I, I, uh, I told Chloe, I said, you know, kind of jokingly, I said, well, they're slacking because there's no more Bibles here. I, I don't know in this, in this age of secularism if hotel chains will allow that to happen yeah, anymore. I don't know. Frankly, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, it's pretty amazing they're able to get <laughs> by as, lo- place, as long yeah. as they did by putting a Bible in every hotel room and every hospital room. Yep. You know I mean, I mean it really is pretty pretty amazing. So God bless the Gideons, but they have these pocket New Testament Psalms and Proverbs mm-hmm. that they, you know, they give out. And I have no idea how I got this one or where I got it from. You, they're everywhere. Yeah, I had a little I mean, white one that yeah. I remember. So th- what's interesting about this one is um, when I was in high school and, and first, like, do you remember your first Bible you ever had? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I was thinking the other day, I had this whole little, you know, I was a good Baptist kid, and it had, it had a whole case around it with a little handle. Yep. So I'd unzip it, and the Bible was inside. And I don't remember if this is the first one, but I this is one of my those. earliest. Yeah, I, I would always swing it, you know, mm. it's very disrespectful to the Word of God, but um, there was some, you know, adventures on Irvin NIV Bible that had, you know, blue mountains on the front or something. I don't know if that was the first Bible, but it's definitely the one that I remember the most vividly with the image of this person climbing a mountain, and that is seared into my brain. Um, but I also had that little carrying case for for a time. Um, but I always had, you know, various Bibles. Uh, it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I remember the first Bible I ever got was my baptism. Yeah. And I still have it. It's, it. What's interesting is it's it's a, um, it was a beautiful Bible with my name in cursive, mm-hmm. embossed on the cover with gold, you know, foil. Yeah. And it was a living Bible, mm-hmm. which isn't as popular as it was yep. in the 70s. It was a paraphrase. And to my, to my, horror, I discovered when I first started reading it that half of Matthew's gospel is missing. So it's an incomplete Bible, wow. but beautiful. And it was given to me by my godparents, 
Tady and Don Morgan, which is what godparents should do. Yeah. They should give you things like that. And I remember it had very, it had the thinnest paper, tissue thin paper. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, I just, I thought the book itself was kind of magical. It had maps, it had you know gold on the front, yeah. and and it, you just, I remember having as a as a as a very young child an understanding that this book was different from every other book. Um, I, I didn't know how to use it or what was really in it, but I knew it was the Bible. Confirmation, I got a, um, I, I got a revised standard version, hardback. Again, my name, I like my name in gold. Uh, you know, it's really interesting now that I think about it, because I have my, I put my name in gold on this one that I'm did holding. You, you did that? I did, yeah. I was given this one of my diaconal donation. Um, but they, this one had, had my, my name, name on it. not in cursive. It wasn't nearly as, as fancy, but revised standard version. And, and there are two things about that Bible that I remember finding fascinating. One is that all the words of Jesus were in red, which I thought yeah. was pretty nifty and easy to find. And the other thing was, and it took me, it took me the longest time to realize these were not... There were there were color photos, color plates in the in the Bible of biblical places. Oh, okay. And it took me the longest time to realize that I I remember specifically there was one of a bush, and it said like the burning bush. Yeah. I thought, holy smokes, that's the burn. That's, that's it. That's prob- it. That's probably the wrong phrase, holy smokes. But I thought that is <laughs> that is the burning bush, and it was just a Mediterranean right. bush to right. give an example of what it, what it might have looked like. But what I what I love now, having been to to the Holy Land three times, is I could go back to that that Bible that was given to me in 1980, yeah. whatever, and and say I've been to a lot of those places. But so that was interesting because that Bible helped me realize that okay, the Bible within the Bible are the words of Jesus, and that the places the Bible is talking about are actual real places mm-hmm. on planet Earth yeah. that he lived and that he went to, and then and that we can go to as well. Um, and that was probably the one I started reading um, in high school. Mm-hmm. It was the only one I really had. Uh, and then um, the one I really started to read was in, in junior year in high school. I, was, you know, I think I've talked about her before, dating a girl who was very devout, and her mom gave me an NIV yeah. study Bible. But the one I'm holding, the, this Gideon Bible, this shows my immature relationship with the Word of God in high school, a very superstitious relationship with it, is that going back to the first impression that the Bible had these these magical words, yeah. that I think in my naivete, I thought that if I just said these verses, this is this goes back to sort of my, my relationship with having a favorite Bible verse, mm-hmm. if I could just utter these words at the right time, yep. things would be taken care of. And I remember... Psalm 9, 9 and 10, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. For whatever reason, and I think it was from this Gideon Bible, I was looking, I remember, this is so silly and so stupid, but it was true. So it wasn't stupid, it's just looking back now, it seems ridiculous, of being a high school football player and, you know, nervous about, you know, it's it's really interesting, right? If you watch all these athletes on television, um, you know, Baseball players before they bat will make yep. the sign of the cross. Yep. Drawn um, in the dirt. Football players who certainly aren't liturgical at all are making the sign of the cross when yep. they score a touchdown. It's frankly kind of superstitious. And if if I can just simply use these words or do this act, I'll get the hit yep. or I won't strike out. And I was the same way. And so I would put this, the reason why it's so kind of smushed is I would put it in my football pants. Are you serious? Yes. 
in my football pants during warm-ups. I wouldn't wear it during the okay. game. Um, but during during warm-ups, I had this. This is Put on the like, armor of God. This is my armor of God. <laughs> this is my talisman. This is my amulet. This is yeah, whatever I needed to. And, but but Psalm nine nine is the Lord. Uh, also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. And when you so are about to get sacked, that's I would going call through, yeah. upon the name of the Lord because he will be my refuge yeah. in, my, in my time of trouble. And um, sincere approach, but immature, ignorant, not, yeah. not well formed. And I think that what I discover, and I think you would agree, is that oftentimes people's approach to Holy Scripture hasn't necessarily advanced from that standpoint. Yep. And so what is your favorite verse? There's nothing wrong with having a favorite verse. We're not mm-hmm. saying that. But these aren't um, code words or spells or magic words to, to solve your problem. And you, and you see that, and this Bible may have it as well. I don't know. I don't dislike them, but I remember my early Bibles would have, when you feel, you know, the this. index, yep. Anxiety. Go to this verse. Which, Loneliness. Which, again, I'm not going to, hang on. Yeah, here it is right here. Yeah, there you there go. There it is. Yeah. So afraid, anxious, backsliding, bereaved, bitter, critical, these are all these verses. It's fine. It's great that they have that. But it, I began to think, all right, I'm having this problem. Let me solve it. Yep. Here's my recipe. And boom. Yeah. It's just not how it works. Um, these verses enter us into a greater story and truth where Jesus Christ is revealed in our life when we put our trust in him. But Holy Scripture is, um, is, is deeper than that and, and should be viewed deeper than that. Um, yeah, what, what about you? I think, um, so I, you know, slightly different context growing up, um, but... One of, I think, some of my earliest memories of Scripture, you know, apart from the, the stories, you know, Noah's Ark, stuff like that, knowing the stories, um, was memorizing it, and which was actually very helpful. Um, I did, you know, Awanas, which is a thing Baptists do. And what does that stand for? I, you know, to this day, I don't know what Awanas stands for. worker stand. approved. Oh, I should know this. I mean, you see signs yeah. in, in churchyards, Awanas meeting today. That's really, Isn't really sad. Like a worker. Now you've got me looking it up. Um, I thought it was like a worker. Approved workmen are not ashamed. There we go. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Um, coming from Second Timothy two fifteen, um, a workman right. that needeth not be ashamed. You know, rightly dividing the word of truth. I always thought it was I want a more Jesus or something. Yeah, know, yeah. Okay. But um, you know, memorizing huge chunks of, of scripture as as a young kid, and then you know continuing it, and I think it ends in sixth grade or something, um, and you get the Timothy Award and. But that, that was actually very helpful for me as a kid because... What's the Timothy Award? Because all Scripture is yeah. inspired by God, whatever? Well, yeah, okay. I think it's the you know recognition that you've graduated. Or, well, I don't know. It might it may be, honestly, it might have gone You were a really bad through. Baptist. I'm glad you're an Episcopal priest now. You don't know all this stuff. I don't remember what it was approved okay. by. I mean, uh, uh, what it meant by it. But, you know, I was one of the very few who went through the, the whole program and got all the little patches on my Iwana's vest and stuff like that. But that was helpful for me as a kid because it taught me that there needs to be this engagement with Scripture. I'm not going to memorize passages from my favorite, you know, Chronicles of Narnia book, but I do memorize verses from the Bible. And that was a helpful way of saying, like you said, this book is different. Um, you, you know, the gold leaf and the gold print, 
that helped you make that connection? I think it was memorizing it for me that mentally said, this is different than all the other books. I don't read this like I would another book. But as I got into high school, um, you know, I played on the baseball team and, and, and wasn't very good. But a lot of the players, you know, I went to a Christian school, would write verses underneath their hat. And I, I remember, Why? I, you know, same, same thing. thing. I'm, yeah, and I remember yeah. having a thought one day and I was like, you know, kind of asked one of them. I was like, you know, God doesn't care if you win this game or not, right? Um, he, he really doesn't. And I said, we're playing other Christian schools. Do you think he's going to pick which one's his favorite by who wins the game tonight? And I'm, you know, kind of getting disillusioned with that whole superstitious thing. And, and you know, people would respond and say, why do you care what I do? Um, you know, I was just probably being... Or my coach used to absolutely just, just completely dress me down with every word in the book and then say... Our father, who art in yeah. heaven, you know, so, so that, that the, like, our, all right, the our father was sort of the the communal yeah. incantation for divine right. deliverance from our. So, you know, I remember thinking mediocrity. this is this is kind of silly. God doesn't care who wins this baseball, or if you get a hit or not, and He's not using your baseball stat line to indicate His favor for you. Um, and that helped me start to think. Um, I think I, th- I think we're bringing up two kind of essential questions about as we relate to the Bible. And I, you know, when I was little, I had favorite verses for a time. And I remember, if your favorite verse was John three sixteen, at least in in my crowd, that was your signal that I'm I'm religious, but mm-hmm. I don't read the Bible too much. And if you had a weird verse that nobody knew off the top of your well, that meant you really read yeah. the Bible. And if you had an Old Testament verse that was your favorite, you know, now you're really reaching, and it would kind of just get silly. Um, but I think the two questions that we're kind of getting at when we talk about, you know, do we have favorite verses? What does that mean? How do we use the Bible? Is what is the Bible and what is it for in our life? Is it for comfort when we're anxious? I think it can yeah, be. Absolutely. I think yeah. those those indexes can be helpful. Yep. But I think if that's where it stops, that's where we miss some things. Um, I preached before on... Uh, a phrase that Ephraim Radner, an Anglican theologian, has said that I think is really helpful in getting people to start taking the next step. And he says, before Scripture is about anything, it is something. And that helps us, like what we said, this is different than every other book. If we actually believe that Scripture is something before it is about something, then it's not just another story that happens to be religious in nature. You know, it's not another fiction book on our shelf, and we just really like the story it tells. But it actually is something different. Um, I was talking with the youth this past Sunday. We're starting a series on kind of the reliability of the Bible, but also how we use it in our lives and kind of getting them that to know the big overall story of the Bible. And we looked at the, the catechism in the back of the Book of Common Prayer, and it uses the word inspiration. And, you know, we all hear the word, but what does that actually mean? And we talked about if the Bible is inspired, what what does that mean about it? It means that it's the word of God on every page, and that sets it apart from every other book, meaning we don't, we shouldn't read it like a beach read. We shouldn't read it and, you know, kind of say, that chapter is kind of boring to me. Let me skip over it. We need to learn how to engage with all of it, because it actually all has something to say. Um, I think it's Origen who says, before Jesus, Scripture was water, and after him it becomes wine, so that every single word has this, this richness to it. And if we can train ourselves to 
And it's not always easy to find, you know, Jesus and, and the truth of God in Leviticus. Then the whole Bible kind of opens up for us in a way that it doesn't if you just say, I'm anxious, what are the verses that deal with that? All right, got it, and you move on. And, and Because what I think that, what, what ends up happening, what happened to me when I was a kid doing that is it doesn't always fix your life that second. You still feel anxious, and you know the verse says, don't be anxious in anything, but cast mm-hmm. your cares on God, and you think, this isn't really helping. The spell and, didn't work. The spell didn't work, and you kind of get disillusioned with it, yeah. and that's when people walk away. Um, it's not a novel, and it's not a recipe. Yeah, um, it is. It is something. It is the revelation of God, and practically, you know, then you get to the conversations of, well, what does that mean? How do we read Scripture? And I think if somebody came to you and said, you know, I want to get better at reading the Bible, how do I do that? What is kind of some of your go-to responses? Well, what I say is, here's what you don't do. Yes. Don't start Genesis one one and make your way to Revelation. You know, twenty, yep. whatever. You will. We and we've talked about this on the podcast. You about, will, about a month in, you'll burn out. You'll burn out. No, you'll. I think if you make it, if a you month, make it a month, <laughs> if you make it a month, you're heroic. I think you'll make it four days and say this is absolutely brutal. Yeah. You'll, you'll your first genealogy. You're done. And I get it. So I I think that you have to read scripture in the way that it's best read, and that's in the context of prayer. Yeah. You can read Scripture devotionally, which is wonderful and good, mm-hmm. and devotionally could just simply be, I'm going to read Scripture for the sake of reading Scripture, yeah. which frankly is something that probably clergy we don't do enough should of. do more yeah. of, because all of our, enga- not all, but the majority of our scriptural engagement is preparatory, yeah. or to Bible, you know, study, Bible preaching. study, preaching, or liturgical, that we're... That we're we're reading for the sake of the community, yep. but not sort of sitting quietly and just reading, yeah. which is... Now, we do that in the daily office, mm-hmm. and we do that maybe more when we're praying the office on our own, yeah. if we give ourselves time to do it. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, the, the beauty of devotional reading is just reading it, and then if the, if the appointed reading ends at verse 7, keep going. I just keep going. Yeah, yeah. And, and for those who who use the prayer book, the prayer book says you can absolutely expand the readings at your mm-hmm. discretion, basically. You can you can lengthen them. So don't don't stop if you yeah. if you if you're happy to be there. Um, so I would I think the best way to read the Bible is to have a, a to follow a lectionary. Yes. Which will then which will then present you a, a more sustainable way of reading scripture than just simply from beginning to end. Because Again, go back and look at the older podcast episodes. I'm not sure which one it is. We've talked about this. The Bible is not laid out in a perfect chronological order mm-hmm. or even a perfect thematic order. Correct. It is, it is, it is it arranged in a way that, I mean, the, the Old Testament, for instance, is arranged basically based on the length of the books. You know, the, yeah. the longer prophets are yep. first, and they get shorter get the and shorter ones, yeah. at the end. And, and, you know, sometimes there's some chronological order, but oftentimes there's not. And, and it's, it's, it's more complicated than that. A lectionary will give, it, give you a thematic um, ordering that, that where Scripture will interpret itself, yeah. which, is the, which is the beauty of, of, a, of a lectionary. But also you're praying... And what is Scripture supposed to do? Scripture is the revelation of God. How do we know God? How do we come in contact with God? Prayer is that gateway mm-hmm. to do that. So if we read and pray in the same act, then that is the more authentic way mm-hmm. to, to 
come to know the power of, of faith. That's what I would recommend. And the beauty is there are apps and there are websites and there is the prayer book that tells you how to do it yeah. that you can, without a whole lot of effort, um, begin doing that. And the good news is the scripture um, selections aren't uh, a burden in terms of their length. Yeah, You can do it. I have done the office easily sitting in the car pickup line before yep. from either a book or even the app on my phone right. to get it done. Um, it certainly can be done. So yes, that's my advice: is to um, is to not view the Bible as a um, you know a John Grisham novel, and you start at chapter mm-hmm. one and you end at the end. It's not how it work, not how it works. Yeah, I always try to encourage people, and this this is hard. This is hard for for me still. Is that when you're reading the Bible? I think in the back of our mind we are constantly thinking. How does this apply to my life? Yep. How does this apply to my week with what I'm struggling with? And I think the more you can put that off, not that it won't happen, it will naturally happen, but the more you can put that on the back burner and think, how am I entering into this story or the world of Scripture? I think that's actually the key to longevity, to, to a lifetime of engagement with the Scripture because what I think it's doing is trying to take your life and place it in the context of God's revelation, rather than trying to cut up God's revelation and say, this part applies to me, this part applies to me, then you kind of leave the rest go. Um, Well, that doesn't really apply to me, so I'm going to let it go. The more you can engage with the entirety of it, I think the more it comes alive for you. Practically, I think the lectionary is is one of the best ways to do that, because that forces you to read verses you may have not wanted to read in the first place. Um, You know, you get to... You know, maybe a, maybe it's a chapter you know very well. Maybe it's John 3, and you know John 3.16, and if you were reading it on your own, you'd probably skip right there, read the verses around it, and be done. But maybe you've got to start with, with verse 1. Well, that might make John 3.16 come into a new light for you because you, you've read the context before it, the conversation that comes before it. Um, and I think that is always the practical advice, you know, I always give people is, it's a mental switch, but try to just say, what is the scripture saying? What is the story saying as, as it is on the pages? And then later reflect on, you know, what is this teaching me and stuff like that. And the, and the way to help that is to av- avoid going immediately to the bottom page, to the study notes yeah. that they yeah. have. And, and avoid, avoid, I think, I mean, people will say, what Bible should I get? The answer is the one you'll yeah. read. I mean that's literally honestly, anyone. Um, yeah. Some are definitely better translations than others. Avoid paraphrases. Avoid thematic, overly thematic Bibles. Yeah. Um, you know, Bibles for manly men or Bibles for career women. I mean, you know, silly. It's kind of silly um, because the what you don't want to you don't want to view those those study notes or the commentaries as the answer key to the Correct. text. And you know, it's like when you get the, the books and the textbooks you know, in, in school where here's the, here are the questions and you flip to the back and find the answers. Yep. You never really engage with the question. You're, yeah. just, you're just geared to get the right answer, so you go to the back immediately and do the answer and not turn it in. No, sit with the text. Let it confound you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's part of the process. Yep. Let it confuse you so that you still wrestle with it. If you read it and go, yeah, I got it. I know, I know what that means. Um, we're, we're missing some of it. Yeah. Some things are obvious, but 
even the obvious ones still challenge that、yeah. we spend our life thinking, "Gosh, that's really a hard reading." Yeah, you know,、um, and we see this Jesus Himself. How many times would He say something, and they, His disciples, John six, "I'm the bread of life. You do、yeah. not eat of my flesh, you will have no life in me." They come and say, "This is really a hard teaching." He talked about marriage. You know、and、what marriage say, is? This is a hard teaching. This is really hard. Uh, of course, absolutely. Yeah. No one said it wasn't. No one says it's easy.、Um, not not overly complicated. Yeah. But not easy. And our our risk of making the scripture easy is when we just try to piece it into our lives.、Um, that's when it's you know. Which is the chicken、problem. soup for the Christian that's soul? That's the problem, really. Again, not to knock favorite verses, but verses out of context、yep. become. Piecemeal. What's the one everyone puts on their soccer cleats or baseball? Yeah,、hat? I was I was telling my daughter last night. You know, she was we're talking about this, and I'm I am making fun, but I mean no harm of growing up and and having to to go to all these high school beauty pageants, and they would say, you know, what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote is, you know, first, you know, is Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things、yeah. through Christ who strengthens me. And that became,、um, no matter what it was, no, there was no engagement with faith or suffering、yeah. or, or self-denial. The, the context just, of it always cracks me up because、yeah. it's about enduring suffering and giving, even when you don't have much money to give. That's、and、right. So I think, great, you ready to give? And Philippians four thirteen is, I mean, when people use that, they're like,、uh, I'm going to, I'm going to align my loyalty with、goal. Jesus. I like Jesus, and therefore I will, I will score this touchdown. That's、yep. just kind of not the whole spirit of what's happening right. here. Right, yeah, I think that is the risk.、Um, kind of all of us bring to the table. You can endure all things. You can, yeah, through Christ who gives you strength.、Yeah. That's different than taking over the world. Yes,、um, I think all everything we've been talking about is is、um, and not to make this sound too heavy or harsh, but it, I mean it kind of is a pride issue. Are we trying to make everything that's been given to us about us? How does this help me? How does this make me feel better? Or are we willing to say, how can I be shaped by these things? And that is on the switch that I every day I try to remind myself is, you know, the scriptures have been given to us, the mass has been given to us, the liturgies and the prayers have been given to us, not to make me feel better, but so that I'm actually shaped by them,、um, which makes you feel better. Yeah, which the ironic part、yeah. is that is what actually makes you feel、yeah. better and more free.、Um, I mean, it's you know I was writing in the Ordo the other day.、Um, you know, I think it's Second Timothy, but but the verse was um that your commandments are not burdensome.、Um, it was Peter, Second Peter.、Um, now I'm second guessing myself, but the verse the verses was your commandments are not burdensome. And writing about Um, the ironic part is when we actually view the commandments of God as means to freedom, then we actually are happy and and more free and stuff like that. But when we view them as a burden, they actually make us feel more burdened because you know we're we're kind of bringing that element of pride into it that I want to be able to decide what's best for me or decide what I want to do. And it's when we give up that control that we actually find the most freedom. Yeah. That's kind of the whole ironic part about Christianity. Well, and also when you, like today in the, in the Mass this morning, the, the first lesson was from 1 Peter, and he, and, he, and he says this really challenging statement. He says, if you are buffeted, if you're being slapped around in yeah. life <laughs> because you screwed up and you, suffer, and you endure that patiently, well, so good, what? Yeah, so what? But it's when you do something that's good, And right, and you get slapped around.、Um, that is more difficult to endure that 
patiently. Mm-hmm. And um, when, you, when you think about that, that's a real challenge to us because we want to always lash out and then start fixing other people. Yeah. Why are you doing this to me? Yeah. Where, I mean, I don't think anyone is asking us to willingly endure abuse and justify abusive situations and things of that nature. But I think the challenging thing is is to say that you're, it's not my job to, to change how you think about me. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, how you feel about me. Mm-hmm. If you hate me without cause or do things to make my life more difficult without cause, I need to focus on how I respond and not obsess about how you should be doing things, mm-hmm. which is completely contrary to the, to the default setting that we have. Right. You know, how dare you? Let me tell you how. Let me tell you something about you that you don't know and yeah, how I can fix yeah. you. Whereas what, what Peter is saying is Jesus Christ endured patiently because he did everything right. right and was loving. And when we unite ourselves to him and we, we think on him, we're able to ignore a lot of the nonsense yeah. in the world um, because we are focused on him. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he certainly knows what, what this is like. So that is how, how we sort of enter into this scriptural world. And, and no one wants to hear that. And and if you read the, if you if you read those texts apart from Jesus and focusing on Jesus, it doesn't make any sense, yeah. and, and we can easily ignore it. But when we see Jesus on the cross and we come to the Eucharist as often as we can, that is put in our mind. He died for us. We see him being Christ-like is to endure that suffering and injustice, mm-hmm. um, you know, as he did. Well, neither of us gave favorite verses, so um, I hope our, our listeners aren't, aren't too upset. But that was kind of the point, is, um, you know, the, the lifelong pursuit of Scripture should give you, you know, ideally a new, a new verse to think on every single day, um, or at the minimum every single week. And, and that kind of is the point, is it's this lifelong pursuit where at various points in your life, various portions of the Scripture will speak to you. And hopefully a life well lived brings you to the end where the entirety of Scripture has at various points in your life spoken to you. Um, I think that is the goal that we're all striving for. Yeah, absolutely. And again, if you have a favorite Scripture, great. Yeah. I mean, not knocking it. Um, yeah. But don't view it as a superstition. Correct. Don't view it as an incantation um, that when you get worried or anxious, you know, it's going to solve everything. That's um, going to leave you disillusioned. Um with it, but Scripture is for our for our um, teaching, for our training in righteousness, as as Paul says to Timothy. Um, the entirety of it exists for our benefit. You know what I should have brought in now that I'm holding this green Gideon. I showed this to you, this Gideon Bible that um, I was given my grandmother's Bibles. Yeah, and do you remember the New Testament of the same size that had the the steel yeah co- cover? Yeah. So and this is common. It was it was a it was a small New Testament, and I'm, I think it had Psalms, and it had a metal cover that you would put over your heart. Yep. And the idea is the Word of God is on your heart and will protect you. But this was a literal protection yeah. in case you get shot. In case you get shot, yep. it would stop the bullet. And I have to go back and see what was actually on the uh, on the cover of the uh, of the Bible because it was something to that effect. Um, and I think we've all heard stories about people yep. whose lives have been spared by doing that. I mean, that's a devotional way to say it's in your heart, and that's why, like, bishops will—and we'll end, but with the bishops will put their pectoral cross yeah. in their pocket over, over their, their, heart. their heart to do that. 
That is one thing to say, I'm keeping the Word of God near me. Um, and uh, that's an outward way of saying this is, a, is, this is my spiritual protection. Mm-hmm. If I ingest the words, read, mark, learn, inwardly yep. digest, Ezekiel, eat the scroll, yep. all of that, but to view it as this is my superstition, this is my good luck charm, is an abuse on the Word of God. Yeah. Well, let's close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.